welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Praise the Lord. Well, church, again, it's great to be here. Uh, Today, I'm going to talk to you about leaving Nazareth. I'm going to talk to you about leaving Nazareth. And uh, I was joking with Jess earlier on about whether or not I'll do the brackets and sort of, you know, make my title even longer than it needs to be. But I think I will. So the full title of the message this morning is Leaving Nazareth, brackets, open brackets, defeating disappointments defeating disappointments. And I need a lot of grace this morning. Uh, So, you know, be praying for me even as we go to the scriptures. So please turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And we're going to be reading from verse 16. I'm not going to give a whole lot of context, only only to say that Jesus had been baptized uh, and uh, the Spirit of the Lord had come upon him in power. And he'd begun his Galilean ministry with great power, great miracles, great anointing. This young rabbi with no training began to go from synagogue to synagogue and miracles and power followed him wherever he went. How many of you know, whenever Jesus is in the building, there are miracles, amen, and things can happen under the power of the anointing of God. So this is Jesus. And I want to read here from verse 16. The Bible says in the middle of this Southern Galilean ministry, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus goes home. And folks, going home's usually a good thing. Amen? Going home is usually a cause for celebration. But as we read the passage, we'll begin to see that actually it became explosive. And maybe some of you can identify with that. Uh, Christmas at home, you come home and you're halfway through the turkey and those fireworks. So maybe homecoming isn't that smooth. But anyway, let's read from the text and let's see how Jesus got on back at home. Okay, so verse 16. Jesus rejected at Nazareth. Spoiler alert. And he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Hallelujah. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down in Moses' seat. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And he, they all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he began to say to them, doubtless you will quote me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. What, have we, what we heard you do at Capernaum, here do also in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. 
And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all the synagogue was filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went on his way. Thank you for your word this morning, Lord. I'd like to read a couple of quotes, if I may. Uh, There's two here by an author called Philip Yancey. Even the greatest of miracles do not resolve the problems of this earth. All people who find physical healing eventually die. We need more than a miracle. We need a new heaven and a new earth. And until we have those, unfairness will not disappear. Again, he goes on, we tend to think life should be fair because God is fair. But God is not life in that way. And if I confuse God with the physical reality of life by expecting constant good health, for example, then I set myself up for crushing disappointment. C.S. Lewis, in his famous book, The Screwtape Letters, that I love, and I've actually been quoting quite a bit these days, he said this. This is uh, the senior demon speaking. He said, Whatever men expect, they soon come to think they have a right to. The sense of disappointment can, with very little skill on our part, this is the enemy talking, very little skill on our part, be turned into a sense of injury. Isn't that interesting, folks? This morning, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to free us from our disappointments. Come on, the longer you walk with Jesus, the longer you walk this spiritual walk, this Christian walk, the more likely it is that you will encounter disappointment, prayers that you prayed that weren't answered or they weren't answered in the way that you wanted, things that didn't quite work out the way that you were trusting the Lord that they would work out. Folks, this morning, he wants to free us through the ministry of his word, by his spirit, from our disappointments and their potential to do us harm. He wants to free us from our insecurities this morning so the word can do its work in our lives. He wants to free us this morning from our Nazareths so we can receive his word. Folks, keep tracking with me. This morning, I want to look at two things, two Ds. First D is this. I want to look at what it is to be disappointed in Nazareth. And then I want to look at what it is to be delivered from Nazareth. Hallelujah. Are you ready? Let's go. The Bible says in verse 14 of Luke 4 that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. So like we mentioned, this young rabbi was moving in power. His ministry carried the anointing of God. Men, women, children were coming into freedom and liberty. The anointing was spreading and touching those Jesus came into contact with. Hallelujah. The Bible says in verse 
verse 15, he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. This young rabbi, this Jesus, was meeting universal acclaim. And in the middle of this ministry, in the middle of this this powerful time around Galilee, Jesus elects to go home. And folks, like I said before, a homecoming should be a, a joyous thing. They should be a joyful occasion. But what made his return so explosive? What made Jesus's return to Nazareth so explosive? Folks, we need to understand this morning what Jesus was returning to. We need to understand some stuff about Nazareth. So Nazareth wasn't mentioned explicitly in any of the Old Testament, nor was it mentioned in the Talmud, nor in the Midrash, or any Gentile writing. This shows the disdain that they had in history for the town itself. So the Judeans looked down on Galileans and Galileans looked down on those in Nazareth. Nazareth was the bottom rung in Jesus's time. I don't know if you've ever come from a small town or a one horse town. We've ever come from humble beginnings. Maybe you come from unflattering circumstances. Folks, that was Nazareth in spades. That was Nazareth. Nazareth did not possess a good reputation. How do we know? Well, Nathaniel in John chapter one, when told that the Messiah was coming from Nazareth, his response is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny? So they were the subject of gossip as well. Nazareth, it was like a red flag if you were from there. If you were from Nazareth, you wouldn't put it on your census form or you wouldn't write it on your CV, on your cover letter. Oh, you wouldn't. It's like the age old thing. Are you from Mahan or Blackpool? Amen. <laughs> yeah, I love Mahan. I love Blackpool, but it's funny. Which one is it? <laughs> you know, so that was the sort of thing that was going on there. It seemed the early church had a low view of Nazarene as well. That apparently it was due to their unpolished dialect, right? Do you remember, uh, uh, <laughs> do you remember my fair lady? The rain in Spain falls mainly on the plains. Right, that was a Nazarene dialect, amen? It was that sort of thing. Their lack of culture and quite possibly a measure of irreligion and moral laxity. Nazareth couldn't do anything right, get anything right. In fact, there was another village that they were compared to. Begins with S. I actually forget now that I'm standing here in front of you. But it was opulent. The Judean elite lived there. It was about three and a half miles from Nazareth. That was a backwater town. They fell under the wheel of comparison. You name it. And again, Nathaniel's question rings in our ears this morning. Can anything good come from there. Insecurity, abandonment, rejection. They were working class. They were failures. They were the subject of gossip. They were the subject of prejudice. Folks, Nazareth is a type of captivity. Nazareth is a, it's a type of captivity. It's, it's, it's what it is to be bound by negative experiences. Nazareth is what it is to be bound by the experiences and the circumstances that perhaps surround your life or, or, or were at the genesis of your life. 
And many of us struggle to lay hold of the promises because of the captivity of our Nazareths. It's hard to lay hold of truth when you're trapped in security, in, in insecurity. Scriptures say Jesus came to Nazareth. The word came to Nazareth. The grace of the gospel comes to Nazareth. The grace of Jesus meets us in this place, in this tension where we're dealing with our circumstances and, and mentalities and stigmas and attitudes. Are you in Nazareth today? What circumstances have formed your Nazareth? What experiences are making you receiving the love of God a difficult thing? Is it abuse this morning? Is it disappointment? Is it failure? Is it abandonment? Is it negative comparison? What's locking you in Nazareth? What's locking out God's promises from touching your heart? Well, folks, let me tell you this morning, he's not afraid to come to Nazareth. Hallelujah. He's not afraid. Brendan Manning wrote this. One of the mysteries of the gospel tradition is this strange attraction of Jesus to the unattractive. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen if you're unattractive this morning? Can I get an amen if you're, you're not a looker? Hallelujah. Give me an amen if you got a face for radio this morning. Hallelujah. This is, Jesus loves that face. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves your Nazareth. He loves it. One of the mysteries of the gospel tradition is the strange attraction of Jesus for the unattractive, this strange desire Jesus has for the undesirable, this strange love for the unlovely. The key to this mystery is this, of course, Abba, Jesus does what he sees the Father doing. Hallelujah this morning. God has given us his word. He sent his word into our Nazareth Hallelujah, in the midst of our insecurities, our abandonments, our negative comparisons, our failures. John chapter one says that in him was light. Hallelujah, in him was life. He was the light of all men. And he stepped into the darkness, the dark of Nazareth, and the darkness could not overcome him. Hallelujah this morning. Hallelujah for the gospel the word of God is in your life, despite your Nazareth. Jesus, and the Bible says, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. The synagogue continued to be a focal point for Jewish life during the first century. By the time Jesus' ministry began, a synagogue was found in most towns in Galilee. Folks, the word will always go to the center of your life. The word will always make its way to the center the word will always get to the heart of the issue. But when Jesus found his way to the synagogue that morning, that Sabbath morning, he found things in Nazareth that proved to be a cocktail for disappointment. And folks, there are two things I want to look at this morning in, in the idea of Nazareth that can breed disappointments in our lives. It's important we understand what they are. The Bible says that the first, well, the first I want to look at today is familiarity. Familiarity. Let me explain it to you. Jesus returned home. They knew him, yet they couldn't recognize him. They were too close. Familiarity, folks, can breed wrong expectations 
of Jesus. Let me explain it to you. Michael Jordan, the other great one with a small g, Michael Jordan, right? Michael Jordan was a hyper-competitive athlete, the best to ever do it. But one of the things Michael was known for doing was taking the uh, opposing team's best player out for dinner the night before the game. That's what he would do. He'd go, and if it was New York, he'd call up John Starks. John, come on, I'm buying you a steak. I'm buying you all the fixings. Let's go out for dinner. And so he'd have a great meal on Michael's dime. And the next night on the court, because he thought he was familiar with the great one, he expected the great one to go easier on him. Do you get what I'm saying? Oh, come on, Mike, I know you. I know you, Mike. We had dinner. You can't drop 50 on me. I mean, come on. But folks, here's the thing. Familiarity doesn't stop the great one from being the great one. It doesn't. It doesn't. Have you been there? Come on, Lord. I've been walking with you for a while. These people listening to him on that Sunday morning, they knew him. They knew him. They knew him when he was this high. Oh, they knew all about it. Oh, come on, Lord. I've been walking with you for a while. Lord, I've walked with you for a long time. I've served you. I'm familiar with you. I know your word. Do for me what you did for that person. You've been there. Come on, Lord. I've served and I've sacrificed. Now I need that diagnosis to go my way. Lord, I've served you. I've been close to you. I've walked with you. I'm familiar with you. I need things to go easier. Amen. I need you to do this for me because I know you. I've been around you for years. I'm no stranger to you. Now I need you to come through for me. The problem, folks, is this. Jesus announced the nature of his ministry. Familiarity doesn't stop the great one from being the great one. He announced the nature of his ministry. He came to say what? He uh, uh, brought that passage from Isaiah 61 and he began to read. And what did he say? He began to say this, true true prosperity, it's inner transformation. I have come to, to heal you and free you from the five effects of sin, not from outward circumstances. They wanted the Romans. They, they, see, they wanted the Romans out. We'll see this in just a second. They wanted prosperity. They wanted health. They wanted wealth like Capernaum and judgment of their enemies. They wanted deliverance from suffering. They wanted the end of hard times. He didn't read past verse two in Isaiah because everything beyond verse two Everything to do with judgment was for a future time. What was he telling the people? I am not here for judgment. I'm here for salvation. He came to save them from themselves. What a message. I'm here to save you from you. That's true prosperity. Listen to me. Listen to me. And I feel to say this. You're watching preachers and teachers who tell you that your best life is now. The only way your best life can be now is if you're going to hell. That's the truth. 
That's the truth. They tell you that you need to be healthy, that you need to be wealthy, that you need to just believe harder, stronger, longer, and you can get your miracle. It's not the gospel. It's not the ministry of Jesus. I'll say it to you categorically. Anybody preaching your best life now isn't preaching the gospel that Jesus preached, the gospel of the kingdom to come, the glory of a coming age. Sin. True prosperity is salvation from self, salvation from sin. That was what they couldn't receive because they were too close. Let me encourage you this morning. And I'm going to get to the idea of stepping back later. Step, don't, don't get so close to Jesus and, and hear me on this, that you can't see or, or, or recognize the entirety of his ministry. We gravitate to the parts we like, the things that tick our personal boxes, but keep an objective view on the son of God this morning, who he is according to his word. There was something else going on in Nazareth. They had familiarity and and elevated expectations of Jesus. But they also had insecurity. They also had insecurity. Jesus came to do a deeper work and they couldn't see it. And a part of the reason was their insecurity. Aside from over-familiarity, there was insecurity in Nazareth. How many of us battle a Nazareth of insecurity? Unable to receive the promises because of the false narratives that fill our heart. Folks, it's not easy. It's not easy. I'm going to look at this now because I believe the text actually shows us what happens when people with insecurity hear God's word. I think it's actually here in the text. I think that there are three R's. The first one is that they rejoiced. They rejoiced. They agreed. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 oppression and, and, and freeing people from captivity. I love it. And how many of us, we sit in church, we clap, yeah, God, that's it. And they thought that they were aligned with Jesus, but they couldn't see what was going on in their own hearts. They couldn't see their own expectations of him that weren't in sync with who he was. So they marveled, but look here. The Bible says that they very, in the same verse, verse 22 They go from marveling to saying, isn't this Joseph's son? Folks, listen to me. That was a negative phrase. They were being negative. Some of it gets lost in the English. But there was a negativity attached to that comment. And I want you to see what's going on here. I want you to see what's happening. They said, "Is, is not this Joseph's son? So they've gone from rejoicing to resisting the word, the promises. See, no sooner did they hear with joy than their inner narratives began to cast doubt over the promises. Follow me here. Isn't this Joseph's son? In any words, in other words, how can anything good come from this? Follow me, keep following me. How can anything good come from this? They began to filter Jesus and his promises through Nazareth's lens. They began to filter it. How can anything good come from Nazareth? That's really what they're echoing here. How can 
what he's saying come from this. Isn't he Joseph's son? Isn't he Mary's son, it says in Mark? Aren't those his sisters and brothers? How can this be? How can this come from Nazareth? You know, this morning, I want to talk to you about something. You know, sometimes what other people say about you can become what you say about yourself. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And this is where they go. You know, I want to talk to you for a little bit about something called confirmation bias. Have you ever heard of confirmation bias? Confirmation bias. Listen, if you've got a wife and your wife says, how do I look in this dress? And you say, you look wonderful. You look gorgeous. You look stunning. You look as beautiful as the day I married you. And she turns around and says, so you're saying I look fat. If you've ever experienced that, you've experienced confirmation bias. Doesn't matter what we hear. It gets filtered through what we believe about ourselves and whatever meaning that's left from whatever, what, you know, what a great quote is, you know, if we interrogate the facts for, for long enough, they'll tell us anything we want to hear. That's what happens in confirmation bias. That's what I believe is going on here in the text. You're saying all this Jesus, but I'm trying to filter it through my Nazareth and I, I can't rise in belief. I, I can't believe that this can happen. Confirmation bias is the tendency to give more weight to evidences that confirm our beliefs than evidences that challenge them. Confirmation bias is seeing the world through a filter, through Nazareth's filter. There's four ways it happens very quickly. One way confirmation bias happens is it's only remembering facts that support our beliefs, selective memory. The next is ignoring facts that contradict our beliefs. The next is failing to seek out objective facts. And the last is the misinterpretation of facts. That's confirmation bias. What happens when the grace of the gospel starts to meet with our biases and our beliefs about ourselves? What happens when the gospel starts to hit against the ideas we have that flow out of our Nazareths? How do we receive love? How do we receive love when we're insecure? Folks, listen to me. Confirmation biases will cause us to miss our miracles. Miss our miracles. Indeed, quote, one can be deceived in many ways. One can be deceived in believing what is untrue. But on the other hand, one can also be deceived in not believing what is true. Confirmation bias is the most effective way to go on living a lie. Living in a lie. Is that you this morning? Is that you this morning? The gospel has to taxi in the air because the landing strip is full of narratives that flow out of your Nazareth that tell you why the promises can't happen in your life. They can't happen in your Nazareth. You can't receive it for yourself, so you resist it. You are not your Nazareth. Stop fighting the promises because of where you are this morning. Amen? Amen. Stop fighting them. Stop fighting them. They went on, physician, heal thyself. Jesus responds to this, that what's going on here. He, he has to respond to it. And they, they, they're saying, physician, heal yourself. Or that's, he quotes a, a proverb. Do what you did in Capernaum. Do it here in your hometown as well. 
Folks, our insecurities will always make demands of Jesus. They will. They'll always require him to perform for us so we can feel loved. Lord, if you'll do this for me, that for me, love me on my terms. Insecurity will always require another miracle from Jesus. True faith does not so much attempt to manipulate God to do our will as it does to position us to do his will. Jesus has to go on and say, no prophet then that's acceptable in his own town, in his own hometown. Sometimes the closer you are to someone, the harder it is to hear the truth from them. Sometimes those closest to us are, find it the least easy to deliver difficult truths. And, and this just escalates, the dialogue escalates to the point where Jesus pulls two examples from the Old Testament, Elijah and Naaman, lepers and widows outside of the borders of Israel that had to receive because those within the borders had, it, had a, an unbelief, had an insecurity that prohibited them from receiving all that God had for them. What was Jesus saying to them? He was saying, I won't be manipulated by insecurity. I can't bow to those things, the demands of your insecurities, the demands of your Nazareths. And ultimately what happened, folks? Jesus not giving them what they wanted felt like rejection because they felt rejected as a community. It confirmed their sense of unworthiness. It was the confirmation of an inner narrative. Can, can anything be good? Can anything come from Nazareth? And Jesus comes and tries to tell them a hard truth. Tell them that he's come to do a deeper thing and they can't receive it. It feels like rejection. It feels like it's not love. Malachi said to the Israelites through the, through the priesthood, he said, God saying to them, how I, I've loved you. To which they respond, well, how have you loved me? And that's what I'm talking about. God, you didn't love me in a way I could feel. So I now question your love for me at all. And this, is, this brought them to the brow of a cliff. This brought their faith to a cliff. This brought them to a place where they threw, tried to throw away what had let them down. Folks, is that you? Disappointed with Jesus this morning contemplating throwing away your faith. What do we do when our unmet expectations of, with our unmet expectations of Jesus? How do we respond when he doesn't do the thing we want him to do? How do we respond? For them, it was rage. It was anger. I can't keep doing this. Lord, I've done everything and you've not delivered. And it brought them to a cliff. It brought them to a precipice. Maybe it's for you, it's quiet resignation. Maybe you still show up. You're still in church. You're ticking all the boxes externally. But in your heart, Jesus has let you down and it feels it's registering like rejection. The Bible says they rose up and tried to drive him out of town because he couldn't meet their standard of love. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathaniel asked him. Philip responded, come and see. 
Come and see. Hallelujah this morning. Come and see. This morning, I want to talk to you in the time we have remaining about stepping back. Amen. About stepping back and taking in the entirety of what's going on in Nazareth. You might be asking, how can anything good come from my life? Come from me? It's too late. I'm too far gone. If I'm honest, I'm disappointed with Jesus. You might have thrown away your faith in your heart. He didn't do what I needed him to do. I can't go on with my faith. I feel betrayed. Folks, the Son of God never needed much to work with. Hallelujah. If that's you this morning, Jesus never needed all that much to work with. There is absolutely something good that can come from your Nazareth. Can anything good come? Philip's response was, come and see. Folks, there is power in stepping back. In basketball, there is a move called a step back. And what it looks like is this. You're, you're being guarded by a defender. Something's in your face. It's blocking your view. You can't see a way forward. You can't see the goal, the basket, the finish line. So you take a step backward. And all of a sudden, your disappointments and insecurities are contextualized. You can see everything going on the court. And all of a sudden, you can see the basket that the disappointment was blocking, that the defender was blocking. And you can take a shot again. Hallelujah. Let me show you what I mean. There's power in a step back. There's freedom from insecurity and confirmation biases. There's more going on in Nazareth than our insecurities have allowed us to see. Let me show you. The word Nazareth actually means branch in Hebrew. That's what it means. The Bible says that Jesus should be called the righteous branch that he should be called the Nazarene. So even in the word Nazareth, there's hope this morning. The hope of green shoots, the hope of something that can grow even in the heart and in the depths of disappointment and insecurity. Look at Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah writes, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse and from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Hallelujah this morning. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 53 verse 2 says this. For he grew up before him, speaking of Jesus, like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. Hallelujah. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Glory, glory to God. There's a branch growing from a stump. There's a branch growing from what has been cut down. There is a root growing out of dry ground. Well, Witchia is a fascinating plant that cannot survive, that can not only survive for several thousands of years, but it can do so in one of the most inhospitable environments in the world, the Namib Desert. Wellwitzia is essentially an, a 100 million year old 
plant fossil that managed to adapt and thrive in one of the most inhospitable places on earth. It may not be much to look at, but its resilience and the secrets it holds are definitely things to admire. Do you see what I'm saying? A plant that can hold, that can grow in the most hostile of environments. Come and see the branch that grew out of the ashes. The only thing that can grow in hostile environments. There is one thing that contains, the only thing that contains life in itself. So it doesn't need anything from its environment to grow. Hallelujah this morning. I've got nothing to give my faith. I've got nothing to give. I've got nothing to give. I've got nothing and I'm in my Nazareth, my insecurity, my depression, my abandonment, my rejection, my doubt. Jesus is the one thing that can grow in that environment. He doesn't need anything from his environment to grow because he has life within himself. Hallelujah. It can grow. He can grow anywhere. No matter how dark, no matter how bleak, no matter how broken, Jesus is the rose that grew through the concrete of Nazareth. Hallelujah. That's the grace of the gospel for you this morning. That's the grace of God in your Nazareth. You don't have to have it all together. You might have had moments where you've brought Jesus to that cliff face. Your faith throw, to throw it away. Jesus doesn't need anything from your environment, from your life to grow. That's the grace of God. That's the grace, that's the love of Jesus. You're asking, can anything good come from me, from my life this morning? Jesus would say, I can grow in your insecurity. I can grow in the doubt. I can grow in the fear. I can grow in the disappointment, in the abandonment. I can grow in the ashes of shattered dreams and heartbreak. I am the thing that can grow in death. I can grow in death itself. I don't need anything from you because I have life within myself. My gospel, my word, my truth. It doesn't need to find you in success. It doesn't need to find you in your, your, your high points. My word has power and life all on its own. Hallelujah. This is the glory of Nazareth. In him, John 1, 4, in him was life. In him was life. There's no life in us. There's no life in Nazareth. But in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. They were too familiar. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. What's that name? Jesus of Nazareth. That's that name. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of the broken dead places. Jesus of my rejection. Jesus of my insecurity. Jesus of my abandonment. Jesus of my, my failure. 
the Jesus of my, my, of my, my inability. Those who believed in that Jesus, to them he gave the power to become children of God. Hallelujah this morning. Hallelujah this morning. To them, to them, those who could believe that Jesus could grow in their insecurity, grew out of their insecurity. Those who believed that Jesus would never abandon them in their pain, grew beyond their pain. They left Nazareth. They left Nazareth. Only believe in his name this morning. John chapter 1 verse 48. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were sitting under the fig tree before Philip called you. <laughs> Hallelujah. And Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Augustine wrote this. Has this fig tree any meaning? We read of one fig tree which is cursed because it only had leaves and no fruit. Again, at the creation, Adam and Eve, after sinning, made themselves aprons of fig leaves. Fig leaves then signify sins and Nathaniel, when he was under the fig tree, was under the shadow of death. So that our Lord seemed to say, O Israel, whoever O you is without guile, O people of the Jewish faith, O Christian this morning, before I called you, my apostle, when you were under the shadow of death, when you didn't see me, I saw you. When you were in your Nazareth, in your failure, your rejection, under the shadow of death, I saw you. Under the shade of the law, I chose you. Hallelujah. That's what Malachi, that's the whole passage in Malachi, to touch on it again. Lord, how have you loved me? Esau, Jacob, I loved Esau, I hated. In other words, I chose you. Step back and see. Step back from your disappointment. How have you loved me, Lord? Step back and see. See the entirety of your salvation. I chose you. I chose you. I saw you in Nazareth. I saw you in your depression, in your suicidality. I saw you when you didn't see me. I saw you and I chose you and I called you. You belong to me. I chose you. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. God chose from Nazareth even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. Folks, listen to me. They ultimately became known not for their rejection of him, but for his acceptance of them. After he walked away that day, he kept on being referred to as Jesus of Nazareth. I want you to think about that. When they thought that they ended their association with him, he continued on carrying the name Nazareth, the name Nazareth. The day they walked away, he took them with him. The day he walked away from Nazareth, he kept the association. The Bible says at the resurrection in Mark 16, 
the angels themselves refer to Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth. Peter in Acts chapter 2 refers to Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth. Paul in Acts chapter 10 refers to Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth. I am the thing that no disappointment, no setback, no dashed expectation can cut down in your life. You may have been cut down by disappointment, but my life in you will continue to grow. I have chosen you. My life will grow out of the ashes of your disappointments. They become fertilizer for my life in you. He will bring your Nazareth to reputation. Look at what grew out of a broken, written off life. Hallelujah. A rose that grew up out of the crack in the concrete. Will you stand with me this morning as we finish, as we close? Just as we pray, let me say this to you. Don't reject the promises of God because of insecurity. What you believe about yourself It doesn't need to stand in the way of your miracle. Let go of your narratives and see the entirety of your salvation. You are chosen. Come see what grew in Nazareth. He will bring your Nazareth to reputation. He's not ashamed of your Nazareth. His life can grow in any environment. If you believe in his name. I'd like to pray and then hand it to Pastor Stephen. Will you lift your hands with me this morning? I know we've covered a lot of ground, but the purpose of this is liberty. Come on, let's pray. Lord Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, lover of the unlovely, you are the one who comes after us in our broken places, in our dark places. Lord, in our, in our hopelessness, you come to us. Help us, Lord, not to resist your word, your truth, your promises when they visit us in Nazareth. Lord Jesus, I pray now by your spirit, take the biases out, Lord. Remove them. Show us that we're chosen. Lord, you have not rejected us. Lord, long after they rejected you at Nazareth, you continued on bearing their name. Hallelujah, Lord. Even in our weak moments when we feel like throwing in the towel, you continue to bear our name, graven on your hands, Lord, written on our hands, Lord, ever before you. And I pray this morning that there would be hope again in Nazareth, that there would be hope again in that place, oh God. I thank you, Jesus. We will be known, Lord, not for our moments of disassociation with you, but for a lifetime of your association with us. You will cause beauty to appear in Nazareth again and again, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Bless the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website, www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.